We start with a simple question tonight, which comes with possible right answers in a plural sense. Why are we here? And there are, like I said, numerous right reasons, correct reasons, or reasonable answers to the question of why are we here. We're here because it's Sunday at 6 o'clock, and that's what we do every Sunday at 6 o'clock in the evening. And that's good that we are here like clockwork and that we make it a habit for ourselves and for our children and for even our neighbors to know that we're gone. We're here because we care about Bible study and we care about singing praises. We're here because we care about our brothers and sisters in Christ and the ability to try to encourage them in their individual walks and in our collective walk as a congregation. Ultimately, we're here because today is the Lord's Day and because we come for the purpose of what we have even sang about tonight, and that is worshiping God. And that I think we can all agree is the ultimate reason why we've come together is this being a Lord's Day, this being an occasion where we come together, we worship our God. Brother Kevin Clark talked about worshiping God and suggested, and I think rightly so, in our gospel meeting just a couple of weeks ago, that when we worship God, it ought not be within just these walls. It ought to be an everyday activity in which we are praising God in our own songs. We are praying to Him, and we are sharing His message with others, as even was talked about uh, by one of our brothers today. When it comes to worshiping God, there's a good way of going about that, and then there is a gooder way of going about that. And that's what we're talking about is the best of those ways of worshiping God by looking at ancient worship in the time of Nehemiah and how that reminds us of how we can worship our God more effectively today. This is not an exhaustive survey of Nehemiah chapters 12 and 13, that would take some time. But if you'd like to open your Bibles there, and we'll, we'll get there in just a moment. As was said a couple of moments ago, thank you to those of you that are visiting. We do have some who are here uh, in this building who are not normally here. We're glad you're here. And as has been said two or three times, uh, this is a great opportunity this week to reach out and to care for those brethren that you've come together tonight to encourage uh, that otherwise would be here, but they're not because of illness or travel or whatever the case may be. And I appreciate all of our song leaders, both this morning and this evening, by picking songs that often go well with the sermon topics. Worship the King, all glorious above. The law of the Lord is to be revered and worshiped, and we are here to glorify the name of our God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit himself. When you think about worship, it is timeless, uh, or at least it goes back before even the foundation of the world, or at at least the foundation of the world, depending on uh, when worship began. 
uh, we know that shortly after man was put on the earth, that there was a call to worship our God. And so since the beginning of the word of God, the worship of him and rendering to him the kind of praise that he rightly deserves has been not only commended, but it has been commanded. And there are lots of examples that we could think about. For example, back in Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, even though it's not explicitly written for us, we come away with a conclusion that something was said to Cain where he knew he could have done better, and something was said to Abel that he knew he was doing better in worshiping and sacrificing to our God. Or in Genesis chapter 8, somehow Noah knew that it was important to build an altar and say, God, you are great. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for providing for us. Or in Genesis chapter 22, as our Uh, brother Kevin Clark talked to us about just a couple of weeks ago, Abraham and Isaac uh, is an occasion where we see Abraham saying, I'm going to do whatever the Lord wants me to do. I'm going to praise him in my actions, even if it does mean offering of my son. These aren't just Old Testament concepts. In the New Testament, we see that worship of God was just as vital. In fact, I was interested in thinking about this, and I thought, when is the first time that worship Worship is mentioned in the Bible, and ironically, it's a passage that will be read more over the course of the next three weeks than will be read in any other time uh, probably throughout the year. But in Matthew chapter 2, turn over there just very quickly here, and if you want to write in the margin the first time that worship is referenced in the New Testament, it says, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come for the purpose of worshiping him. And then I thought, well, what's the last time that the reference to worship? And it makes perfect sense going to the last book of the New Testament, where in Revelation 22, we see that scene where one day we will all be before our God and we will worship him in heaven. I want us to go to the scene of Nehemiah, and I'm going to trust that you are familiar with at least a sketch of Nehemiah, a visionary leader who was willing to say, we must go back and rebuild the wall. We need to rebuild the city. We need to rebuild the people. He was a builder. He was a leader. He was a visionary. He was a man that makes for a good character study in any Bible study. In fact, I've said a couple of times from this pulpit that Nehemiah has quickly become over the last six to to 12 years, uh, one of my favorite characters of the Old Testament, because there's so much that we learn from him that is so practical in the way that we work individually, but certainly as a congregation as well. But after the wall, we learn a great deal about worship, and I want us to consider four lessons from the last two chapters of Nehemiah. Now, the good news is, is the book of Nehemiah is a relatively short book in the Bible, uh, only 13 chapters, and so you could easily uh, read it 
this week and do so in the course of an hour or two. Uh, The good news also is that we will not read all of chapters 12 and 13 tonight. It's a busy time of the year. It's been a busy weekend for many of you. And so I I promised someone just a few moments ago that I'll have an extra long sermon for us tonight so that we can just rest and, and review. No, we'll, we'll get through these things. And I appreciate so much your kindness. David and I appreciate the kind words that you always have for us. Uh, and even when we get a little bit longer in our sermons, which sometimes we do, David never gets longer. I can sometimes get a little bit too long. Uh, that's my credit out to, out to him. He appreciates that. He'll pay me tomorrow a dollar. Uh, but we just appreciate your support and how much you love us and how much you are encouraging to us. I want us to start with this, and that is when we come together to worship like an occasion on Sunday mornings or a gospel meeting or a Friday night singing or a Saturday singing in the summer or whenever we worship our God in our homes by having a few couples over to sing songs and to study and praise God, it is a joyous occasion. And it ought never to be a wearisome occasion as to quote from Malachi chapter 2 verse 17. Go back to Nehemiah chapter 12, and I want us to look here at the last couple of verses here in in this kind of second major section of the text. In verse 42 and verse 43, you find a lot of names that are maybe sometimes what we call the flyover material, where they're difficult to pronounce. But there's a detail here in Nehemiah uh, chapter 12 and verse 42 that I think needs to be noticed. It says in the second part of verse 42 that the singers, because what happened here is they had all kinds of individuals who were gathering around this completed wall and a new rebirth of a people and the rebirth of a city and things are going well for these people who've come home from captivity, who've come back to rebuild a city that they've loved and cared for, the city of David, Jerusalem, and they are there to sing. That is their function, that is their job. And notice what it says. It says they sang loudly with Jezariah, the director. Now, I'm not about to say what the director exactly was doing or how he was chosen. That may go beyond the scope of our study together tonight. But the fact is, is they sang loudly. What is it that we do when we get loud? We're passionate about something. We are excited about something. Sometimes you'll be talking to someone, and then you bring up a, a subject that they're really interested in. All of a sudden, man, they're, they're really ready to talk about that because they're excited, and they're enthused, and they are loud. And that's Okay. We need to be enthused about singing praises to God. So much so that that day they offered great sacrifices. This is verse 43. And they rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. Has God made us to rejoice with great joy? And that's an enthusiastic yes, absolutely. The women and the children also rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. Those two details, I think, are essential to understanding why we worship the way we worship. We worship loudly, not in a disrespectful way, but when we sing Jesus Loves Me, as we did just a week or so ago, and I appreciate David Creech leading us in, in, in that song 
uh, two weeks ago or a week ago. It's not just a matter of Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. Uh, they are weak, but he is strong. No. We want power with that, right? Jesus loves me. This I know. I don't think it. I know it. And the same is true with everything that we communicated to one another tonight. Oh, worship the king. Glorify thy name. Thy word is like greater than the honeycomb and greater than any gold or silver that I could otherwise ever possess. God, you are great. And in a world, and I've said this before, in a world where we talk about the weather being awesome and the holidays being awesome and getting a new car that's awesome, God is awesome. He is holy. He is to be revered. And we ought to sing that and say, he's wonderful. He's absolutely phenomenal. He's greater than anything you'll ever experience in this life. But here's a question to think about when you go back to the time period of Nehemiah. And that is, why were they, why were they worshiping God? Well, because it was 6 o'clock that day, maybe. Or maybe because they wanted to see their breath. No, the real reason that they were worshiping is there in verse 43. The point that I made just a couple of minutes ago is that God made them rejoice. Not making them of a compulsory nature, but putting them in a place where things had worked out so well for them. They said, we have to rejoice. There is nothing that we can do except to rejoice and worship our God. And I would suggest to you that when you think about today, nothing is different. Now, we should exercise caution when we pray, when we sing, when we listen to a sermon, or when we talk about church or church activities, to make sure that when others hear of our references to spiritual things, that they hear of our enthusiasm. So there may be, in all seriousness, some Bible classes that may not hit a home run, and there may be some sermons that just don't speak to you, and there may be some songs that are pitched a little too high or a little too low, and maybe it throws off your worship for a few moments. That is not the information that you share with your, with your, with your friends in the world, right? You share with them that today was great because we studied God's word and there's power in that word. And I was with 170 some people, give or take, who loved the Lord and who were singing praises enthusiastically to our God. And when we sing, why not tonight, as we'll sing in just a few moments, we are saying, why not? Why not tonight make the choice to do what God has asked you to do. Joy and worship belong together. Secondly, God's word is absolutely central to our worship. In fact, I've underlined the two W words in this sentence, and that is to worship God requires a reverence for his word. Incidentally, the word reverence or reverend is the word awesome in Psalms that we find on the one occasion that the word reverend is used. In the King James Version, it'll say holy and reverend is his name. In some of the more newer translations, it will say holy and awesome 
is his name. And so certainly God is awesome and worthy of our worship. By this point in the history of these Jewish people, they had experienced the disadvantage of forsaking the word. Go back to 2 Kings to a text that, uh, again, we may not appreciate as much as others uh, who would have experienced what was going on some uh, 2,500 years ago when these things were happening, give or take. But go back to 2 Kings chapter 22 and look with me at verse 8, just very quickly, just to get a flavor. And there's a lot of places in the Old Testament that we could go to to prove the very point that we're trying to achieve here. But in chapter 22 and verse 8, it says that Hilkiah, the high priest, said to the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord, and Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. Which, incidentally, there's something, I think, to be learned for finding the book. Why did you lose the book in the first place is a, is a good question. And, of course, good students of the Bible will go back and read in the previous chapters, and you'll see the digression of God's people and their... Uh, uh, disingenuous attitude towards appropriate worship to God. And it says, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and are delivered into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Shaphan, the scribe, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it for the king. And I find it interesting that verse 10 uses the, the uh, non-definitive article, a book. You know, there are books that you have in your personal library or in your personal possession that are just books, but then there are books that you have. Remember two years ago, Brother Donnie Rader talking about books that he had in, and yes, I do have a memory for remembering, this ability to remember sermons from years ago, but not all of them. I don't remember half of mine half the time. Half, half the time when I'm preaching them, I don't even know what's going on. But I'm kidding there. I shouldn't have said that. But Brother, Brother Donnie talked about books in his possession that he would not give up for $100 or $1,000. Remember the point that he was making? That there are things that are valuable and things that are, are precious to you. So that in verse 11, notice what changes. It happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, the book, of the law that he tore his clothes, which is an ancient symbolic expression of this is terrible. Something has gone horribly wrong. And so in verse 12, the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahiakim, Akbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah. He says, go inquire of the Lord for me, verse 13, for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us. And here's the key point. Because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. And so what happens here is that Nehemiah uses the occasion to remind us of three reasons why the word of the Lord matters in the early part of what we call chapter 13 in the book of Nehemiah. So now we go back to Nehemiah and read the first three verses. On that day, they read from the book of Moses, not a book, the book. They read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. 
because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law, they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. We don't have the time to go back to Numbers 22 through 25 and talk about Balaam and Balak and the donkey and all those things. Fortunately, we had a refresher course on that just recently as well. But it seems to me that great things are happening here as a result of hearing the word. Nehemiah says, we've got to go back to the word. We've got to go back to the book. And we've got to be a people of the Bible. Because verse 1 tells us that the word informs us. Information is key, they, they say on the news. They say on TV. They say in podcasts these days. Information is key. The more information you have, the better. Not always True, sometimes less information is better, right? But information is key. If you want to be able to fix something, if you want to be able to uh, make something uh, a home improvement, if you want to work uh, to better your education, information is going to be helpful. Secondly, the word explains. And thirdly, the word provokes. That's why we're here tonight. We're here to inform ourselves to be explained to and for us to explain things to one another in Bible class formats. And then to borrow from Hebrews chapter 10, we are here to provoke one another to love and good works. We're here to stir up one another. That's what we're doing. Uh, one of our brothers, brother David Neal, uh, three years ago, I'm on a roll tonight, uh, said that we are to be sticking sticks at one another, prodding each other in spiritual ways. And I thought, well, that's a great way of, of looking at what that means to provoke uh, one another. These are the same three key reasons we study the word when we worship today. We are here tonight to inform, to explain, and to provoke, and to have those things happen to us. That's why you're here tonight, in part of worshiping our God. Thirdly, there is a right way to worship. And because there's a right way to worship, that means that there's a wrong way to worship. And this is not so much an exposition on instrumental music and why it would be inappropriate for us, uh, a praise band, uh, why we only uh, partake of the Lord's Supper, or why we do uh, 52 times a year, uh, why we don't take up a collection on Wednesday. Those are things that we could discuss as a, as a byproduct of this. But the, the, the point that I wanted to make at the outset of this third observation is that we can't dupe ourselves or trick ourselves into thinking that calling something worship makes it acceptable to the Lord. And you see that especially this time of year where people have come together to adore him only to then spend the other 11, of, 11 months of the year ignoring him. And on our way to services, Wendy and I passed a number of different places where there are all kinds of activities uh, associated with various denominations, uh, all kinds of things that you could be doing that have nothing to do with worshiping God, but all about satisfying human desires. And that's not what we are about. We, we hope that you are satisfied, and we hope that uh, we leave this place feeling good and better and, 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 and more energized. But sometimes we come to a place like this and you say, whew, I feel like I got beat up today. That sermon really hit me, and that's okay as well. Or I feel that Bible class was really rigorous because, boy, there was some tough stuff there to understand, but 
But Carrie talked about it, and then Brian talked about it, and it made sense as they taught those classes, as was done in the last couple weeks in our uh, Romans class in uh, our Sunday morning venue. Consider, if you would, the next three or four verses of Nehemiah there in chapter 13. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of our God, was allied with Tobiah. Now, I don't know how many times the word Tobiah, the name Tobiah is used in Nehemiah, but it is never in good terms. Tobiah was, was a villain. He was a bad guy. Uh, Tobiah and Sambalit uh, and a couple of others. And it says that he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers and offerings for the priests. And then in verse 6, But during all this I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days I obtained leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem, and this is what I found. This is what I discovered. And this is what really made me not very happy, Nehemiah says. I discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. Worship in this particular case had been perverted for personal benefit. And while there is certainly something to be said for the New Testament pattern of providing for men that preach, and there's actually Old Testament principles outlined in Deuteronomy and elsewhere uh, for that, we've got to be very careful because there are opportunities for men of the church women as well who uh, may from time to time have access to it, to, to pervert the worship, to use it for their own profit, to use it for their own benefit. That's why when we have uh, men who serve as elders who oversee those funds, they are not uh, concerned with filthy lucre. They are, as outlined in the passages in 1 Peter 5 or in 1 Timothy chapter 3, they are not greedy for money. And that's why we have men who are reputable and who we trust and have good reputation to handle the finances, to make sure that there is no occasion for wrongdoing. Now, if you would, note Nehemiah's reaction in verse 8. He says, it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. One of the most serious, but yet in my mind, kind of comical scenes in the Bible. Where he goes and he says, all right, you're out of here. And he starts throwing out his luggage, throws out his clothes. There goes the computer. There goes the laptop. There goes your iPod, your iPad, and anything else that starts with I. It's all gone. He says, you deal with it, Tobiah. You deal with it, Eliashib. And so what happens here, it seems to me, is Nehemiah comes along and just says, what you are doing is wrong. And as the chapter develops, and we'll talk a little bit more about verse 13, or chapter 13 if we have a second or two here in just a second, we learn that this perverted worship had spread out to others. Nehemiah's focus was on rebuking and restoring, and that's the same that we are engaged in today. 
We come together to rebuke and to restore. In fact, there's nary a time that we end a sermon. It'd be very rare and probably be something that we didn't think about, David or I or someone else speaking, where we don't say, if someone needs rebuking, uh, if you need to make confession of wrong, we want to help you in that. And that's not just because we can't find a more convenient way to wrap up a sermon. It's because it's the best way to plea uh, for plead for you and plead for each of us to make the necessary corrections if that is indeed uh, appropriate at that time. Which brings us to our fourth and our final observation, and that is to never forget why we worship. We do not come to worship services to hear good preaching, though we're luxurious enough to do so uh, from time to time. Uh, we do not come here because the singing is great, though that happens too. Uh, we come here to worship our God, and Christians need to exercise a certain amount of caution so as not to just come to church or go through the motions. And I'll be the first to admit it so that you, so that you can say, yeah, me, me too. Because uh, if, if the preacher says he struggled with it at some point in 44 years, uh, there's been times where, if in my 44 years, where I may say, "I don't know what we what we did today. What what was the sermon about? I don't know." Now I hope that's been a long time ago in my spiritual development. But there's been times where I've not been as in tune with the singing. I'm not talking about in tune that way. I'm always out of tune that way. Uh, but I'm in tune with the songs. I, the scripture reading made sense to me, and I, I I listened to the sermon. Not always am I on point all the time because I'm a human and I want to make sure that's less and less 10 years ago or now than it was 10 years earlier and that's the progression that we're wanting to make as this upward trajectory of trying to improve and trying to, to be better but it's easy for us if we're not careful to just go through the motions and say I'm, I'm, I'm here at church I did my time and I'm good to go for the next three days I think by and large we know that but it's applying that where the rubber meets the road that makes it important. Um, and it reminds me of where our brother read for us there in Malachi chapter 2, verse 17. In what ways have we wearied you, God? God says, you are wearying me. You are saddening me by going through the motions. So don't do that. So we've got to be careful about that. And in the time of Nehemiah, the appearance of the wall was, it seems to me, a very apparent reminder of why they worshiped. Look at how God has blessed us. Go back to Nehemiah chapter uh, 3, Nehemiah chapter 4, and read the first two chapters while you're at it. And in the first third of the book of Nehemiah, you'll see where God has richly blessed these people. And so there in chapter 12 and verse 27, it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out all the Levites in their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate with dedication and with gladness, with thanksgiving and with singing. They came together for this incredible opportunity to worship our God and to worship their God. Now, I would say to us today that we need to also have a wall. Now, there's no need for us to engage in a wall around Rutherford County. Uh, I better be careful here. This might get a little controversial here as we talk about building walls or whatnot. I'm not going to go get in there. But we need a spiritual wall, right? 
And it doesn't require us to take out our axes and hammers and tools and skills of carpentry and other masonry. But we need to have a wall wherein we have, one, a reliance on the word and a firm reliance on our brethren. And we say, that's our wall. And it reminds me of many ways Ezekiel's call for us to stand in that gap and to stand strong and to do what God has asked us to do. When we remember why we worship, it pleases God and it helps us. It does those two things together. When we remember why we worship, I'm worshiping because I am happy. I'm worshiping because of God's word. I'm worshiping because I know there's a right way and a wrong way. And I'm worshiping because God has blessed me with everything around me. They looked and they saw a wall and they said, how can we not but praise God? And I don't think there's anything wrong, though I wouldn't limit it to this, looking at the physical structure that we enjoy and say, God has blessed us immensely physically. But more than that, God has blessed me with my friends, with my brethren. God has blessed me with his word and God has blessed me with salvation. And that ultimately is the reason why we say, you are awesome. He really is incredible. Those are ancient lessons that we learned years ago that are still just as true for us today. These are, as I put in the subtitle, timeless reminders. And they're timeless because every generation, this sermon will work 100 years from now or 200 years from now. And if you want to preach it 50 years from now, those of you that are a little bit younger and and greatly improve it, you're welcome to do so. But it's timeless. But it's also reminders because we need to be reminded of these facts because these are things that come from God's word. And as I said a few moments ago, we are making a plea to those who are not Christians to seriously consider where you stand in a relationship with God because your standing is not a good one. Your defense on the day of judgment will not work if you're not a child of God. But if you are a child of God, if you've been baptized, you have the blood of Jesus to wash away those sins and to make it so that you stand pure before him. Not because of some greatness that you've done, but because of your obedience and because of the incredible grace of our Savior. If you are a child of God and you're not living as you should, maybe you're not worshiping as you should. There's no, uh, nothing I can see in the book, uh, and I don't think that anybody would suggest to you that you need to confess that before this group of people. It may be that you need to just confess to God even while we sing. You know, I, don't, I, I haven't worshipped as thoroughly and as thoughtfully as maybe I could have. And I want to improve on that. And you can start tonight by singing this song with great meaning and with focus on what it really says and what it means. And move forward from there. If we can help you, though, if we can pray for you, if we can strengthen you in any way, let us know while together we stand while we sing.